Hi, this is John Ankerberg, and today I want to present to you my very, very good friend, Dr. Wayne Barber. For 18 years, he was pastor of the huge Woodland Park Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. He was co-teacher with Kay Arthur for 14 years at Precept Ministries. He studied with Dr. Spiro Zodiades and co-hosted with him the national radio and TV program, New Testament Light, for 10 years. Wayne has taught the message of living grace, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, all around the world. He is president, founder, and principal speaker of Living Grace Ministries. And in February of 2011, he returned to Woodland Park Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, as senior pastor. Wayne's authored several books. The most recent one is entitled, Living Grace, Letting Jesus Be Jesus in You. And he has also co-authored The Following God, series of studies published by AMG. I hope that you'll enjoy listening to Dr. Wayne Barber. Well, I tried my best to come up with a topical message for today and try to get out of the series for a while. It's holidays. I couldn't do it. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. <laughs> I've got to get back in the flow here. I, I can't stay too far away from it. It's funny. When you preach verse by verse, word for word, phrase by phrase for years and years and years, it's just difficult to do topical things anymore. I, I just enjoy letting the word, just, just let it say it, just dig it out, mine it out. That's what we're going to do today because really, if we if you think about the gift, I don't know if you read Brother Haywood's column. I didn't, I didn't think he had that in him. I think somebody else wrote it and he signed his name to the end of it. But it, it was just really wonderful. You take some time to read that in the witness today because it's really precious to realize that no gift is ever real unless it's received. And now if we're going to receive the gift that God has given us in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, then we're receiving daily his life. We're receiving daily his peace. We're receiving daily the wisdom and all the other things that he embodies. But if we're not going to receive it, then we might as well forget it. The church of Corinth might as well forget it. They weren't receiving it. They weren't living daily receiving what God would want to do in them and through them. They were not living that way. And we're talking about all for one, one for all. This is part three of that series in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians. Like the perfect artist that God is, he has so beautifully composed his body of believers on this earth. The word composed in verse 24, when Paul says, but God has so composed the body, is the word that comes from two Greek words. And we need to see it this morning because we're all as believers important in the body of Christ. It comes from the word, first of all, meaning to mix. It comes from another word, which means together. Now there are two words for together and it's in that word together that we see the point that Paul, I believe, is making here under the leadership of the Holy Spirit of God. To mix together is the word composed. The little word together there is the word seen. We talked about it the last time. There are two words for together. The, the little word meta means together, but together in the sense of association. We're together this morning. We're gonna leave after this service is over and do our own thing, but we're together right now. So right now, it's not the body that's important. It's the individuals that are here that make up the body. That's the word meta. You can remove one, add one at any time you wanna do that. But the little word seen is a different word. It's the little word that means to be so mixed together that you lose sight of the individual ingredients and you begin to see more the whole as when all of them have come together. Now the picture here is a biscuit. 
You take the ingredients of the biscuit. We used it last week. We used it in Romans 6, but I want to keep bringing it back up so that you can see what it means to be composed. There's no big eyes, no little U's here in the word composed. It's, it's all the greater gifts and the lesser gifts or whatever, however man would perceive them put together into one unit called the body of Christ on this earth. And you don't see the different pieces. You see the body. That's, that's the key here in the little word seen. Like a biscuit, you put all the ingredients on a baking sheet. And I still haven't gotten them right. I've gone over this thing a hundred times. Flour and whatever else you put on it. You put all those ingredients there. And before you bake them, then the important thing, the focus is the ingredients themselves. That's what the focus is because there's nothing else there but ingredients. You can add to, take away. But once you mix them together and once you put them in the oven and you bake them, then the ingredients have lost their identity in the whole, the biscuit. And that's the word composed. In other words, there's nobody that has these great gifts and nobody has any lesser gifts. No, no. God has taken the people that have more noticeable gifts and he's taken the people that don't have noticeable gifts and he's so mixed them together that they form the body of Christ. And you don't look at one and say, look at the gifts he has or look at this one, look at the gifts he doesn't have. No, no. You look, you see them all together and you see instead the whole, not the parts. So God has beautifully composed the body of Christ. There's no big eyes and little U's. In Corinth, there were big eyes and little U's. Why? Because they were focused on gifts. They weren't focused on the giver. They weren't understanding the mix that God had made and the beautiful mix he had made in the, in the body of Christ. Every gift need the other, needs the other gifts. Every gift. There's no greater gifts. There's no greater gifts all the gifts are important in God's economy because God has put them together. He has mixed them together. When we all function in obedience to the head, then we cause the whole body to be identified and to function properly. God did not intend for us to covet each other's gifts. God did not intention, intend for us to belittle the gifts that we have. And I've seen people do that. Oh, I wished I had this gift or I wished I had that gift. What? Listen, salvation is so grand, we just ought to be overwhelmed that we're a part of what God's up to on this earth. That's a beautiful thought. Gifts should never be the cause of any kind of division in the body of Christ. When God and the gifts that he has given are fully appreciated, this completely disarms all the selfish envy that anyone would have toward a gift that he has or doesn't have. The result will be that we have a care then for one another. We begin to appreciate the other gifts. You see, when you appreciate God, then you begin to appreciate the gifts that he's given. And that's the way the body of Christ ought to function. Now, we must remember our context. The Apostle Paul is comparing the human body to the body of Christ. He's, he's just told them how ridiculous it is to ever consider any part of the human body as unnecessary. <laughs> After showing how, how, no, how no sense is made at all of the, of the eye disdaining the hand, of showing how it's so stupid for the head to disdain the foot, he says in verse 22, on the contrary, it's much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. He's talking about the human body and he's comparing it to the body of Christ. The word weaker, asthenis, normally means without strength. But here it seems to mean unnecessary and unnoticed. And with that idea, go back and read it again. On the contrary, it's much truer that the members of the body which seem to be unnecessary and that go unnoticed are really necessary. 
And then he illustrates it. He first points to the parts of the body that we spend time trying to make more presentable. <laughs> In verse 23, and those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor. Now what in the world is he talking about here? Well, let's just say a lady has big ears. <laughs> I don't know why I just said a lady, because I've got big ears. But there's one thing I can't do about my big ears. I can't make them any more presentable. They're just gonna have to hang there less honorable. <laughs> But let's just say a lady has big ears and she can do something about it. She can grow her hair a little longer and she can, she can wash that hair and, and she can pull that beautiful hair around those ears and make those ears a little more presentable. Or she can hang an earring on them, I guess, and make an ornament of it. And, and, and so people might not recognize the ear as much as they recognize the earring. You say, well, Wayne, you could wear an earring. Don't you say that. <laughs> the day I wear an earring, it's gonna be a cold day in a hot place. But anyway, to make, we, we spend time. The ear is important, but it's not quite as presentable. So what? It requires more attention. That's what Paul's saying. In the human body, you've got parts that are presentable. You don't spend as much time with them as you do the parts that are not as presentable, but it's just as necessary. And then he goes on, he says, and our less presentable members become much more presentable. Now that word presentable there, I hate to tell you, means indecent. In other words, there are certain parts of the body we cover because of modesty. And, and this is just something, this is the perfect illustration that he's using here. And he's saying that doesn't make them any less important. It just makes them much more uh, demanding of our attention so that we, we cover these particular parts of our body. And what he's saying is these are all necessary parts and they require attention. And so the body of Christ is the same way. The parts that he has made, the gifts that he has given. There are some that, that go unnoticed. There are some that are overlooked in, in the church of Corinth. They're looking at the greater gifts and not the lesser gifts. But he's saying God has so composed the body that it needs each other. And you've got certain gifts that are, that are not noticed that need to be noticed. And you need to bring this thing up to a balance. And the gifts that are seen, they don't need anything. Look at verse 24. He says, whereas our, most, our more presentable have no need of it. In other words, the parts that are already presentable, they don't need attention. What needs attention are the other parts of the body so that they can understand they're just as important as any other gift that someone might have. God has so composed the body of Christ that each member needs each other. Some members' gifts don't need as much attention as other members' gifts need. Verse 24b, but God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked, so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. Now, the word for care, merim now, is the word that means to, to uh, be concerned about, the one to think of the other in an anxious way. In other words, anxious meaning an urgent way. Uh, uh, something is motivating you to think towards someone else. The definite article is used here. And he's saying that God has so composed the body of Christ. It's a beautiful thing here that each member is so important and when it's functioning properly, each member has the exact same concern for the other as, as that one has for himself. No big eyes or little use in the body of Christ. Now in Corinth, there were big eyes and little U's. Some had these gifts and some didn't have them. Uh -huh, I'm more spiritual than you are. See, that was the problem. And Paul is saying, what in the world are you doing, man? Your human body is a perfect example. You, you notice every part because each requires attention. All is as important as the other. There are no greater gifts 
Now, verse 26 is where we come to today. We're going to just take it from that point on. It says in verse 26, and if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now, the body must live all for one, Christ. And when the body lives all for one, then it can live one for all. That's the whole message series that we've developed here in, in 1 Corinthians 12 in these last several verses that we've been looking at. Let's look at verse 26 and following this morning. Let's just see what God can say to us. I know it's Christmas time. And you say, Wayne, why in the world are you talking about this? Hey, hey, we, we've talked about Christmas. Why did he come? Now that he's here, let's receive him and let's get a part of what he's up to. And this is the whole, this is the message. When we walk out of here today, are we going to receive what he's given to us? Are we going to function in the gifts he's given us? Are we, are we going to be grateful to be a part of what he's up to? Well, first of all, Paul rehearses the problem again. Now, it's no way to miss what he's saying here. He says, and if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Now, we must determine what's on Paul's mind here. Is the suffering that he speaks about persecution because of one's faith? Is it sickness? Is it traumatic circumstances? I mean, what's he talking about if one member suffers? Now, the principle of suffering with one another, me feeling your pain, you feeling my pain, is a solid biblical principle. Matter of fact, in Romans chapter 12 and verse 15, he's been talking about love without hypocrisy. And he makes a statement. He says, listen, you weep when others weep and you rejoice when others rejoice. So when the body is truly functioning, there will be a sorrowing for one another. There will be a rejoicing with one another. There's no question that when somebody hurts in the body, that the principle of the body is that if they're functioning properly, then the other members suffer with it until it's healed and then all are healed together because each member is important to the health of the body. But I want to suggest something else that he's saying here. I, I don't think that's exactly what he's referring to here. The word for suffering is the word pasco. Pasco is the suffering that's pain caused from without. It's in the present indicative active. If one member is suffering. But now what is he suffering from? In light of what Paul's been talking about, I believe he's talking about those gifts that go unappreciated and unnoticed. And could he be saying that if one member is suffering because, like it was in Corinth, everybody else is chasing after the greater gifts and making his gifts seem, seem to be incompetent, could that member be suffering? In other words, his gift is not appreciated in light of the, quote, greater gifts that others are looking for. You see, when only certain gifts are lifted up and edified, now let me just, just be straight out, because the main topic he's going to bring up in three chapters, the one gift he's going to single out more than any other gift is the, is, the, is the tongues. And when you start singling out something like languages or tongues of other languages, and you start saying that that become, makes you more spiritual than somebody else, then it automatically causes the whole body to suffer because you're overlooking the other gifts that are just as important as that one gift is made to be. We can't afford to overlook each other's gifts. We can't afford to do that. We can't afford to exalt any gift. If we cause believers to suffer because of our selfish pursuit of certain gifts, then what I'm saying is here that, that everyone in the body will be suffering as a result of it. Every gift is dependent on the other gifts in the body of Christ. Every gift. I don't care what gift you say you have or don't have. It's ridiculous to covet others' gifts and it's ridiculous to belittle certain gifts. It's ridiculous. It doesn't make any sense. It goes right back to what he said. It's like the eye saying, don't need you, hand. Or the head saying to the foot, I don't need you. You're not a, you're not a head, so therefore you're not important to the body of Christ. 
If you do this, it, it's to cut off your nose to spite your face. And that's what was going on in Corinth. In Baton Rouge, Louisiana, I was doing a meeting several years ago and a doctor came to me and he said, I want to share something with you. He said, I, 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 I have all the rounds in the hospitals here. And he gave me a high percentage and I want to say what that was, but I, I'm afraid to because it's been too many years back and I don't want to be misquoted on this, but it was a very high percentage. He said, there are people all over Baton Rouge, Louisiana that could get up tomorrow and go home because they're not sick because of anything physical. They're sick because of something else. It's, it's more of a psychosomatic illness. It's, it's, it came as a result of the teaching that goes on in this area. And if you know anything about Baton Rouge, Louisiana, you know who festered that kind of teaching. The teaching that you have to have this second blessing. And he said, there are a lot of people here that have wanted that second blessing. They've wanted that gift of tongues. They think that that somehow makes them spiritual. And he says, we have so many of them come through these hospitals and there's not one thing physically wrong with them. It's all coming as a mental and emotional stress from not having received what others said were the greater gifts. And that's exactly what Paul is saying. If you exalt any gift, any gift, teaching, preaching, Anything other over another gift, you have missed it completely because God has composed the body. And when he composed the body, you don't single out this or this or this. The body is the, is the important thing, not the individual parts of the body. They need each other to make the body exist. So he comes back, I think, to the problem. If anyone suffers, the suffering there is not what he's talking about in Romans. To me, what he's talking about is when you overlook a person's gift, at the expense of what they would call the greater gifts. Look out, the whole body suffers. Secondly, he points to the pattern the way it ought to be. He continues his thought. Verse 26, he says, if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now immediately our minds would say, well that means, hey, this person's rejoicing, I'm gonna rejoice with him. This person's suffering, I'm gonna suffer with him. Yes, that is a truth and yes, that is Romans 12. But I think what he's saying here, he's answering his own thought. If that same believer that's been caused to suffer is honored, then if he's honored, then everybody rejoices. And the word honored, the reason I say this, and, and I'm just suggesting it to you, you think it through and you see if I'm correct, because we got both truths balancing each other. But the reason I say that is the word for honored is not the normal word for honored. It's the word that means glorified. And the word glorified means recognized. And isn't that just what Paul's been talking about? If that gift, instead of causing to suffer and not be recognized, is caused to be recognized, and then instead of the whole body suffering, the whole body will rejoice. You see, the, the local body of Christ, the church on this corner and churches all over this city, is just a picture of the whole body of Christ, the universal body of Christ. Every body of believers has all that is needed in his local body. But every local body has the tendency, like Corinth did, to exalt certain gifts and cause the whole body to suffer. Or it has the opportunity to recognize all of the gifts and cause the whole body to rejoice. But we must recognize each member and each gift that the body is going to rejoice. Every gift is important in the body of Christ. How many times have you ever sat and heard somebody speak and say, oh, I wish I had that gift? You ever, now, come on. Y'all just sitting there talking, not on the law. Raise your hand if that's ever gone through your mind. Is anybody else out there as unspiritual as I am? I mean, I've done the same thing. 
I've been in a conference preaching and somebody else get up and preach and I'm thinking, why can't I do that? I hear Stephen Oford preaching and he, can, he alliterates his prayers. I hope that God understands him. I mean, he, he, everything has got an alliteration to it. That's funny. I was down in Birmingham, Alabama <laughs> and I was doing a conference and I said, you know, this alliteration stuff, you know, people only use three letters, a P or an M or an S. Oh gosh. Every woman in the place started laughing. I'm thinking, what did I say? And it hit me. Anyway, but, but the alliteration, I mean, I, when I hear people alliterate, I make fun of them because I'm jealous. And I wished I could alliterate. And I sometimes wished I had the gift to do that. I spend more time in a dictionary trying to alliterate than I do in a text. And I'll use a, I'll use a, a word that starts with the same letter and completely blow the whole meaning of everything I've studied if I'm not careful. I can't do it like other people can do it. It's a gift, but I don't need to sit here and be jealous of that gift. It's no greater than the gift God gave to me or the gift that God gave to you. See, this is what happens when you get your focus off of Christ. You get it down on ministries and gifts and this will divide a church. This will split a church right down the middle. I know people today that will fight me over some of the things I'm gonna say about tongues. So they walk in ready to fight me. They leave ready to fight me. Well, so what? What does the word of God say? The word of God says a gift should never divide a church. That each would have the same concern for the other gifts. But only when Christ is appreciated and focused on can that even take place. So the problem and the pattern, the pattern should be that all the gifts are recognized, glorified, translated honored, so that the whole body could rejoice. But when you're singling out certain gifts, the whole body's suffering. That's a very anemic body. It's not healthy whatsoever. Then Paul brings them back to the principle. Here he goes in verse 27. Now you are Christ's body. He said that a little different in chapter one and verse two. He said, he calls them there the church of God. He says in verse two of chapter one, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by calling, with all who in every place call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. He calls them the church of God there at Corinth. But now he says, you are the body of Christ. There in Corinth, in the midst of all of the paganism that was there, there in the middle of it was the church of God. There in the middle of it was the body of Christ. Now, Paul says, you're Christ's body. Then he finishes his thought. And individually, individually, each and every one of you, members of it. Nobody's left out. All of us are part of the body of Christ. I want to tell you something. That statement in itself requires a lot of meditation. We are the body of Christ. Well, I'll tell you what, is it not ridiculous and the height of arrogance for somebody to stand up and portray one gift as greater than another when Paul makes the statement, you are the body of Christ. My toes are just as important as my brain, my fingers. Everything on my body causes this body to work in my human body. And in the body of Christ, every part that he has so beautifully composed and mixed together on this earth is absolutely overwhelmingly important. In 2 Corinthians, Paul beautifully says what a body is for. A body is to bring recognition, not to itself, but to the entity that lives within it. He says in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 11, for we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake. Now listen, 
so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. In other words, it's not a gift that I can use to bring identity back to me. It's a gift that when it's used properly brings identity to Him. We're His body. The only reason we're on this earth is to bring glory to Him. We know, we ought to know what we're not by now, but we know who He is. So He says, you are the body of Christ. To inflate any gift as greater, to, to deflate other gifts as lesser, is the height of one who is in nothing more than living in arrogance. A person who is so proud that it's a wonder God has not already brought him down. Well, the sign of an unhealthy body is when one or two or three gifts are lifted out and exalted above other gifts. There's no such thing in a healthy body as selfish organs or unnecessary organs. There's no such thing. All gifts are important. They have their place and their function and should not in any way be exalted or belittled. Well, the problem, the problem is exalting certain gifts and causing the whole body to suffer. The pattern is to, is to recognize those gifts, to glorify them, to bring them out like you do certain members of the body require more attention. Why? So that the whole body can rejoice. And then the principle is we are the body of Christ on this earth. That's just, when I was just sitting and thinking about that this week and studying this, that, that overwhelmed me again to just be reminded, Wayne, who do you think you are? And I tell you, people that are so impressed with themselves and the gifts that God has given. Jack Stack, who spoke for the Gideons for, for years, wonderful speaker, walked up to the platform in a great meeting. Somebody had put a box up there, and I may have shared this with you before, and if I have, don't worry about it. I'm just getting old. I can't remember. But somebody had put a box on the pulpit, and it was gift-wrapped, and it had a top to it so that you didn't have to unwrap it. You could just take the top off. It had a bowl on the top of it. Jack was sitting over here on the platform thinking and rehearsing in his mind how he was going to thank them for the gift they gave to him because he is such an important speaker to the Gideons. <laughs> his own testimony, by the way, I'm saying this. He walked up, thanking all. Oh, people were smiling and clapping for him when he walked up. He says, I'm sure going through his mind, he was thinking, man, how necessary I am to these people. He took the top off the box on the inside. Instead of a present, it was a bunch of filthy, soured, smelly, rags and a little note and the note said we love you Jack but we didn't come to hear from you we came to hear from God and in that split second Jack said it put me in my place that I'm just a part of the body of Christ and if I'm not going to live attached to the head then anything I do brings glory to me, not to him. And if it does, then it's nothing but pure, unadulterated flesh. Welcome to the church of Corinth. That's the only thing that they knew, you see. Well, the problem, the pattern, the principle, and then the placement of the gifts. Now, Paul brings us full circle. This is the ending of chapter 12. And we've seen over and over again, I've tried to bring it out to you in all the messages we've preached here, of the fact that it's the giver, never the gift. And he brings them full circle right back to the giver. It's beautiful what he does here, and I want us to walk through it very carefully. We must again be brought back to this place. It says in verse 28, and God has appointed in the church. Now back in verse 18 of the same chapter, 
we find the same words and it says, as he desired. Verse 18 says, but now God has placed the members and the word used there is exact same word as the word appointed is used here. Each one of them in the body just as he desired. In fact, in verse seven of chapter 12, we find out which person of the Godhead did it. It was God the Holy Spirit. Verse seven, but to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So it's the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit that has placed and given the gifts just as he desires. Now the word appointed there, as I said, is also used in verse 18. It's the word tithemi. Tithemi means to set, to place just in exact order. We were having some, some uh, dinner with our friends and Diana was setting the table and I noticed, well actually it was Chris set her table and I noticed how it was set just right. You know, you, you, you put the mats down, you put the silverware. It's funny, when our children were little and they first went to a place that had two forks and two, and two spoons and all, they got the extra ones and took them back and said, you gave us one too many. They, <laughs> they, didn't, they didn't have any culture. I mean, their daddy was to fail to teach them. But you set things in place. You put it in their proper order. That's the word tithemi. So he has appointed, he has appointed here the gifts as he desires. He has put each person in the body in exact order that he divinely has desired to put them. Now, how in the world could you ever say you had a greater or lesser gift when God's the one who, who put us where we are? What Paul's about to do is to show once again that we have no business trying to be what God has not appointed us to be. We're to accept the gifts. We're to accept the ministries God has given us and never try to mimic somebody else's and never live coveting somebody else's but receiving what God has given to us. Now, how and in what priority did he place the gifts? In the list to follow, the Corinthians probably were taken back that what they thought were the greatest, Paul didn't think so because God looks at it a little differently than man looks at it. It says in verse 28, and God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, various kinds of tongues, or as we've seen earlier, languages. Now, let's look at the list he just gave us. First of all, apostles. He first appointed apostles to the church. Apostle, the word apostolos means one sent forth with a message. You say, where are they today? Do we have them today? No, not in this sense, but they're still around. They're right here in the New Testament that we're preaching from this morning. Their voices have long been silenced, but they're still heard in the written ministry that the Holy Spirit of God gave to them. This is where we get our New Testament from. It's from the apostles. They will be heard in the church until the end of time. They're still around only in the written word. Now you may have a generic sense of apostles still around. A person sent forth could be a missionary, whatever, but not in this sense. They, these are the ones that determine doctrine. But along with them, secondly, he says, the prophets. Now these are not just the Old Testament prophets. That's already implicit. These are the New Testament prophets. He had the apostles and the New Testament of prophets. And they too have been silenced. Their voices are also heard, written in the pages of the New Testament. And Ephesians 2.20 puts the two of them together and says that our faith is built upon the apostles and prophets. There they are right there. They're already there. That's the foundation of everything we believe. It's right in the word of God. But then thirdly, he says he gave teachers. And I love this. These are the ones gifted to expound upon and explain what the apostles and prophets have given to us, which is the basis of our faith, which is the word of God. These are what teachers are all about. 
And a teacher clarifies and brings it down to where people can understand it. How important it is that the teacher comes right after the apostle and prophet. They gave us the, the fundamentals of our faith, the foundation, which is the Word of God. And the teachers come right along behind them and explain it to us and, and expound it so that we can clearly understand it. Then Paul brings up miracles, works of powers, plural, and gifts of healing. But we've already dealt with this. And we've seen that the only pattern to that were in the early New Testament church officers. Now, God could do this anytime he wants to, but there's no pattern except in those first offices that he, he appointed to the church. Then he mentions helps and administrations. And it, it's interesting. These are the things that, that he, the way he, in the order he has given them. The word helps here refers to those who serve in those behind the scenes ways. The word administrations is a word that means to lead. It's a word for leadership. In fact, if you'll turn over to Acts 27 and verse 11, let me show you where it's used. It's used of a person steering a ship. The leaders, he puts what's in the body of Christ. In Acts 27 and verse 11, it comes, this is the root form of this word right here. It says in Acts 27 and verse 11, but the centurion was more persuaded by the pilot of the boat, the one steering the ship, and that's the word, and the captain of the ship than what, by what was being said by Paul. And of course, that was when they were about to shipwreck, but that, that's, the, that's the idea of the word. You know, the church of Corinth lacked in no gift, and neither does any local body of believers. And they had, then they had people to lead them. They had people to lead them. But I want to tell you, the problem of, of Corinth was not leadership. The problem of Corinth was fellowship. Every man doing what was right in their own eyes. They weren't about to do what the leaders said. They had their own opinion, and they'll do it their way. And that's what turned the whole church upside down at Corinth. Then at the bottom of the list, Paul said, the very bottom of the list, the last one he mentions, he says, various kinds of tongues or languages. Now, what is his point? Why would he even bring this up? After all that he said, there are no greater gifts, there are no lesser gifts, but at the body of Christ, it's composed, it's mixed together. Everybody is just as important as anybody else. And the key is not the individual gifts. The key is the giver and the body itself. What's his point? Verse 29, clear as a bell. All are not apostles, are they? In other words, hey guys, why are you trying to be what God never intended for you to be? All are not apostles. Then he says, all are not prophets, are they? Why are you trying to be what you're not? All are not teachers, are they? If you're not gifted to teach, then why are you trying to do what you're not gifted to do? All are not workers of miracles, are they? All do not have gifts of healings, do they? All do not speak with tongues, do they, or other languages? All do not translate or interpret, do they? Then the question that's implicit in, in, in this list here, he's saying to them, then why are you trying to be and do what you're not called to be and do? Just be who you are. Be in the gift God has given you. You're just as important as these others because it's God who has put you into his body. And then for the finishing touch in verse 31, he says, but earnestly desire the greater gifts and I show you a still more excellent way. Now that's a confusing verse to me when Paul has just spent all this time telling us there are no greater and no lesser gifts, that they're all important in the body of Christ. The word for earnestly desire is the word zelo or zelo. It means to earnestly desire. It's a good translation. That's why it's translated earnestly desire, to earnestly desire. But it doesn't make any sense to me. And I want to tell you something. This is really, I wrestle with this and wrestle with this and wrestle with this. What are you saying? 
Paul, you just said that there are no greater gifts or lesser gifts and, and the ones that are, that are more noticeable get their own attention. We should give attention to the ones that are the lesser. What are you talking about, Paul? And then it hit me. I don't think it's translated properly. And you say, Wayne, who in the world do you think you are? Hey, I know what I'm not, so don't take my word for it. You check it out. But in the Greek language, the indicative and the imperative forms are identical. Whoa. Most people translate this as a present imperative. In other words, I command you that you desire the greater gifts. Doesn't make any sense to the whole context to me. But change it since the form is the same. Make it a present indicative and then see what he's saying. You are desiring the greater gifts, so-called. In other words, you have put certain gifts into a greater category and this is your problem. You are, this is what you're doing. You're desiring the greater gifts. Whoa, now that makes sense. And then add what he puts to it. He says, but I show you a better way. In other words, what you're doing is so off the wall. You have missed the point. You're desiring gifts that you say are greater and that make you more spiritual. And it shows how unhealthy you are. But let me show you a better way. I show you a better way. And now we're coming into 1 Corinthians 13. And you know what that is, don't you? Though I have the, the ability to speak with tongues of angels, etc. He says, but I have not love. I'm a sounding gong. Listen, do you know where that love comes from? That love is only produced by the Holy Spirit of God. And do you realize what Paul has just simply done? He's come full circle. He said it over and over again. And he's come right back. I'm going to show you a better way. Quit seeking gifts that you call greater and start seeking the giver once again. And God will produce in you and through you that which cannot be faked. Do we recognize today that you can fake any gift? <laughs> any gift, you can fake it. But you can't fake the fruit. I love the song that they sang a while ago that was wrapped in love. That love is the key. Any gift that a person has, if it's not wrapped with the fruit of God's love, all the whole of chapter 13, makes that person nothing more than a bunch of noise. He's unnecessary in the sense that what he's doing is more detrimental to the body of Christ than it is to help the body of Christ. But if that person's seeking Christ, then the Holy Spirit's producing in him or her a love that is different than any kind of love that a human being can produce. It's produced only by the Holy Spirit of God. And chapter 13 talks about the quality of a person's life that comes when they're seeking the giver as the difference between a person who seeks the gift in chapter 12. I'll tell you something. I, when I finish these messages, I, I leave the church and go home. Sometimes people come up, man, I enjoyed that. Or people come up and say, I think you missed the whole thing. Or, or I get a letter or two. I never know where it goes. My prayer is that somebody's receiving what we're saying and you're starting to put two and two together. Which tells me that there are a lot of immature churches, not only in Chattanooga, but in our country that are zeroing in on gifts at the expense of the giver. And there's no fruit that's there to wrap those gifts with, which makes the gifts nothing more than a joke. They're not what God 
produces. When I have the love of the Spirit within me, that love is, you're a benefactor. You can't contain the love. The love has got to be given. So people around you already know whether or not you're seeking the gift or seeking the giver. They already know that by the way you relate to them or don't relate to them. You see, that's the bottom line. So it's not the gift. It's the giver. I haven't told this story in a long time. Thought I'd share it with you before you go home. <laughs> Christmas is over. Now let's take Christmas to somebody else. We know what it means. A gift is not any, any good unless we receive it. And if we receive it, it's going to be automatically given to somebody else. Years ago, I worked at a camp in, in Black Mountain, North Carolina. And uh, if you don't know where Black Mountain is, you, you don't know where Asheville is. You go to Asheville and get lost, you'll go to Black Mountain. Black Mountain, matter of fact, not far from Montreat, up on top of the mountain where Billy Graham lives. I went to his house one day and had a dog jump up on top of my car and strip the gears out of my car and I won't do it again. Because he lives up on top and he has a big gate and happened to be open that day and I made the mistake of pulling in. He's got guard dogs. You do not want to do that. I mean, they'll jump all over your car and scratch my car and I tried to get out of there and strip the gear. Everything happened. But I worked at Camp Rockmont for boys. They said, Wayne, you're going to have 56 wonderful 11 and 12 year old little boys. And I said, I am. I'm going to be the Cherokee Tribal Director. <laughs> Do I look like a Cherokee Tribal Director? And I thought to myself, this will be great. I had 12 college counselors. But see, what happens is I forgot what it's like to be 11 and 12 because that's when you go into the fog and all the brain cells die. And so I don't remember those days of my life at all. It's like it still is a fog to me. I, my son has a few cells returning. He's 25. But I, I vaguely remember that. I got in the room that day. They all came in. I, I'm telling you, 25 minutes later, I could have killed every one of them. Matter of fact, one of them came in, had a handicap. He had a hearing aid, and I got one now, so I, I could relate to Back then, I didn't understand what that was like. I, I felt sorry for him, and I kind of liked him. Ten minutes later, you could have tied him to a tree, and I could have thrown darts at him, and it wouldn't have hurt my feelings at all. This kid liked to drove us nuts. This kid would come into supper and butter his hand and take his corn on the cob and roll it around in his hand so he could butter his corn on the cob just to make us mad. We took his eating privileges away from him. Four and a half weeks we had to put up with this with animal. And we ran him around the lake at three o'clock in the morning, stood him in the corner. I mean, this was the worst kid I've ever been around. Unlovable is not even helpful to describe this kid. Finally, four and a half weeks went by and we were gonna celebrate, man, he's going home. The director of the camp walked across, George Pickering at that time walked across and said, Wayne, I know you're gonna love to hear this. He said, but little Scott is gonna be here for another four and a half weeks. I said, man, don't do that to me. I've got counselors that want to teach him how to swim in a sack with a center block at the bottom of the lake. Don't do that. Somebody's going to kill that kid. He said, nope, you got to deal with it. So I got all my counselors together and I said, what are we going to do? We had a bunch of us sitting in a circle, 12 of us, 12 counselors and myself. One of them was college freshmen. Now, what do they know? I mean, you know, how ignorant can you be but be a college freshman? And this, this college freshman was sitting there and, and the college freshman said, well, maybe he doesn't know Jesus. And we said, hey, this was a Christian sports camp. We said, we know that is a problem probably, but he's a pervert. He's beyond that. He, this is a threat to society. Well, we kept going around the room and finally we came, kept coming back to what this college freshman had said. I mean, out of the mouth of babes, there it was. That was our answer. It dawned on us, maybe the kid just didn't know Christ. And we asked the Lord to forgive us. We went and checked his records and found his mom had been married five different times. 
of those five different times, he had never known his daddy and, and they'd send him off to a boarding school every fall and every spring and he'd come home for breaks and then go to a camp for nine weeks like he did us that summer. And so he never was at home. Nobody wanted him. So what had happened was he built a wall around himself then said, you don't love me, buddy. I'll never love you. And I want to tell you something, folks. If you're not filled with the Spirit of God, I don't care what gift you say you have. You can go in your prayer closet and stack BBs. I don't care what you say. If you don't have the love of God produced in your life, it is not affecting anybody. Because the love that the flesh produces will not in any way crack the shield that people have built around themselves because of people that are being un unloving to them all these years. And we, it dawned on us, we can't reach this kid. But Christ in us can. We asked the Lord to do that. It was so precious. Three weeks into the second session, had the privilege of leading that little boy to Christ. Well, it was an interesting thing that happened in that. We had a revival break out on our campus and many of them are still preaching today because of what happened to this one little kid. I mean, he was so mean. I mean, he turned his hearing aid off. Scott, do this. Do that. I can't hear you. Yeah, you turned your hearing aid off, you little dummy. I mean, he just had a way of just irritating you to death. And we saw him come to Christ. Well, the last night came. We saw what the love could do that a gift would never do. Now you see, you get hung up on gifts, you've missed the whole thing. It's what the fruit is, not the, what the gifts are. Well, that last night we had two awards, the best camper and the most improved camper. <laughs> Don't get ahead of me. He's not the best camper. Sanctification is a process. <laughs> this kid is a potential serial killer. I mean, God's gotta do some things in his life. He's not the best camper. But he was voted the most improved camper by 56 kids and all the counselors. And I got to announce the awards. On that night, it was so hot, but it was raining. We had to have a campfire. You don't have a camp without a campfire. And so we had this huge, huge uh, hearth that I could walk under. That's how tall it was. It had big logs and fire roaring. It was 185 degrees in that room, but it was raining. We had to go inside to do it. We had our, our Indian makeup on. Now, don't go there. <laughs> I was the chief, but you don't have to go there. <laughs> Had war paint on and all this kind of stuff. And all our war paint was melting and running down our face, you know, because it was so hot in there. Finally, it came around time to call out the awards. And I called out the best camper. And don't get ahead of me. He didn't get that, as I said. But he did get the best camper. And I looked at most improved. And I said, Scott, you got the most improved. Scott looked at me. I guess the only award he'd ever gotten was the most unlikely to succeed or something. He looked so shocked. And he walked up. And it was just, it wasn't anything to it. It was a board with some cans on it. We'd made it look good with shellac and everything else. Probably cost five bucks to fix. But we handed it to him. And when he took it, he turned around and I said, Scott, would you like to say thank you to all the people in this room that, that have voted for you? And that little unemotional rock turned around and broke and began to weep. Oh, you know how emotional I am. I mean, he didn't weep two seconds and I wasn't crying with him. All the kids began to weep and the parents began to weep because they realized his parents weren't there. Somebody had loved him with a love he had never known before in all of his life. Well, we got up. I didn't know what to do. I got them all joining hands, and I had them sing the camp song. That wasn't a good idea because everybody was crying. It was just blubbered through that thing. And then I finally tried to lead them in prayer. And while I was praying, the last prayer that I'll ever pray with this particular group of people in the same room at the same time, I felt two little arms go around my waist and little head bare itself in my lap, and I knew who it was. Scott had broken out of that circle, and he came over and just put his arms around me. Stood there just trembling and held me like I was going to leave him the next second. After it was over with, I couldn't, couldn't talk to him. We just stood there and held each other for probably 30 minutes. He went on to bed that night. I got up early the next morning. They were leaving. He was leaving on a bus, one of the only ones on the bus to go to the Asheville airport to fly home because his parents were too busy to come get him. 
And I put my hand up next to his and I started walking with him. He had it on the window of the, of the bus, that old tinted window of that trailways bus, but I could reach his hand. We walked all the way to the wagon wheel there at the gate at Rockmont. And the last thing I remember is that little face pressed up against the window, tears streaming down his cheeks, trying to get one more glimpse of somebody who had loved him when nobody in the world had ever thought he was important, never thought he was important. And I'm going to tell you something, folks. You can walk out of here and talk about your gift if you want to. But it means absolutely nothing if the fruit of the Spirit of God is not there. Because when the fruit is there, you see people like God has you to see them. And that's what Paul is telling the Corinthian church. You think you're spiritual? No way. Let's talk about what spiritual is. i got a better way. Quit desiring gifts that you think are greater and start pursuing the giver and watch the difference in your life. Then the gifts will take care of themselves. For additional resources, log on to jashow.org. That's jashow.org.